Welcome to this week's message at Corner Bible Church. We're so glad that you could join us. If you'd like more information on our church, you could check us out at our website, cornerbiblechurch.com, or you can like or follow us on Facebook. Now here's this week's message. Thank you for listening. All right, if you have your Bible with you this morning, we're going to be in quite a few different passages of Scripture. Okay, We're going to be in Psalm 13 to start out. Psalm 13, and these will be on the board here so you guys can see them. Psalm 77, Psalm 10, and Psalm 22. And when we get there, I'll tell you to flip back to those passages here specifically, but we're going to bounce around a little bit. And the purpose of this, as you heard Pastor Davis say in the announcements, is we are transitioning from a series called From Isolation to Togetherness into a series titled Vulnerability. Vulnerability. This is based off of a book that we were recommended as Pastor Davis and I were working through what this actually looked like called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. And as you know, we partner with a lot of local churches. We're not just a church in the midst of a community. We are the church in the midst of a community. And when we articulated this to someone, they said, hey, why don't you grab this book? It's a perfect book to coincide this Lamentation series. So we read through it as a staff and thought, this process that this gentleman identifies in Scripture, okay, it's not one person just saying this is the way it should be, but this process that this gentleman identifies throughout Scripture really is a prominent part of who we are and how we become vulnerable in the midst of each other. Because our faith is very vulnerable, very open. How many of you are already a little uncomfortable with the word vulnerability? How many guys are like, hey, it's time to go get lunch? Because this topic of vulnerability is so, so important. Now, unlike normal series where we transition out, we move into a different topic, these two are very interlocked. Because in week two from from isolation to togetherness, we talked about God's original intention for community. And those three things were as follows. The first is to reflect the Trinity, which we dialogued over throughout our community series and and articulated to us the importance of our reflection and who we reflect. So we've already talked about that. The second part of intentional community was to build vulnerability to build vulnerability. Thus the title, thus the conversation, thus this book of Lamentations. And lastly, we recognize that God's original intention for community was to take those things and to multiply that effort. To multiply it. In Psalm 13, it articulates to us this process. You received one of these as you walked in this morning as we journey the next couple months. Okay, This is supposed to be a reminder to us as we practice things. Okay, I'm a football coach okay? and, and consider myself a teacher of sorts. 
And as we teach, you always want reminders to be able to go back to as you work through said curriculum to point us in a very specific direction. So this is our reminder for this series. As you see on the front here, the four parts of this pathway to vulnerability, this pathway to vulnerability is turning to prayer. Turning to prayer. And then... Next would be to complain. How many of you are complainers? Raise your hand. Come on. I know there are a few of you in here. How many of you hate complainers? Raise your hand. Okay. Okay. Both of those processes stunt the growth on this pathway to vulnerability. We'll get into that in just a little while. The third part of that is to ask boldly. I heard a pastor once say, and it made me feel super uncomfortable until I thought about it, do you know who my daddy is? Talking about our father who is in heaven. Now, that's a very uncomfortable title for our holy father, isn't it? But after you think about it for a moment, you go, no, you know what? That, that, yeah, do you know who my daddy is? Okay, high-pitched voice and everything. Do we ask boldly of our Father who is in heaven? And then lastly on this, you see that even though these three processes lead to an ending in themselves, the ultimate goal is to build trust, which builds vulnerability. The more you trust the person, the more you articulate. The more you trust a character, the more you feel freedom to express the deep doubts and frustrations that you struggle with. If we're honest in our midst this morning, how many of you struggle with a deep doubt of some sort? Anybody? There are doubts. There are fears. There are anxieties that we all deal with which leads us to a deep, dark depression if we're not able to express them, if we're not equipped to talk about them, if we're not equipped to actually know that it's not a sin to bring complaints before the Lord. If we do it humbly, if our motivation is pure. That's what we're going to do for the next couple months. We're going to practice, according to his playbook, this pathway to vulnerability. This pathway to lament. And how are we going to do that? First, we're going to work through this process this week. And then we are going to watch Israel struggle with these same doubts, these same frustrations, these same anxieties through the book of Lamentations. We'll sprinkle in some psalms because they're chocked full of goodness and expressing our doubts and our frustrations while still recognizing God is holy. Psalm 13 this morning. Psalm 13 this morning, verses 1 through 6. Now, I want you to hear these words. I don't want you just to listen and go on. I don't want you just to read them and move on. I want you to pay attention to the detail of these words. It says, How long, O Lord, 
Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my own soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest the enemy say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Let's pray together this morning. Father, I pray that you would help us to articulate this word well. To understand it and comprehend it, Lord. Not just to be educated, but to be transformed. Not just be to be educated, but to be moved. Not just to study a way, but to walk in it. Or give us the courage it takes to be vulnerable and open and expressive toward you first and foremost and then toward one another. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to hit just for a moment. These are not in my notes um, if you're on version, but I just want to hit for a moment. I feel like the Lord says slow down a little bit on this Psalm 13. Because there isn't a better expression of frustration and doubt if we actually read it in its con- context. It says, how long, O Lord? And it stops. How many of you have been so faint of heart that you, you can only muster up a couple words to say to God? Anybody had a, a frustrating moment where it, there's only a few things that you can, you can express? It says, how long, O Lord? And he stops. And he grasps for more. Will you forget me forever? If we're honest, we've all sat in that moment before. Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my own soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long, oh God, will I have to encourage myself? He's crying out, come to me. Show me a way. Where are you, God? This verse 3, I think, where... We have to read it in its expression. How many of you, when you are at a moment of doubt and frustration, are somber in your expression? Anybody? Hardly any of us, right? We're very emotional beings. So it says in verse 3, consider and answer me. Consider and answer me, God. Where are you? Consider and answer me. Show me the way. And I don't think any of us, those of us that have called upon the name of the Lord and have the Spirit dwelling in us, when we get to this point, are truly seeking to run away from God. But to grow 
in intimacy toward him. It's the only way we can express it. Our frustrations and our doubts. How many of us have ever experienced sorrow? We've all experienced sorrow. I've known we were going to go through this series for almost a year. And I thought, I'm pretty well equipped to handle this lament, and I'll share some of my backstory with you in just a moment. I'm pretty well equipped to handle this. And then God sent us through another series, my own personal life, of studying through lament. And he has sent most of our church leaders through a season of something, up and down, health crisis, car accidents, watching people pass, so on and so forth. We all, as a leadership, as soon as the Lord said, we want you to get vulnerable, we want you to talk through lament, we want you to go through lamentations, God said, and by the way, I'm going to equip you to do this. Because it's easier to trust someone that's went through it. Daima and I, it's my wife's name if you don't know, we experienced salvation at 17 years old. We had never went to church before, but in our experience at 17 years old, we lost all of our friends and some of our family because, again, most of our family wasn't Christian. So we were going through this first couple years of of transitioning our, our life to a life that is following after Christ and being completely open to what he's doing with no real support that had been with us for many, many years. How many of you would lament through that process of losing your friends and, and losing some of your family? How many of you have lamented through that already? It's hard. It's difficult. It was a unknown for us. And we, the only way we could turn was God to God. But how long, Lord, will you keep these people from me? How long will my family stay away from me because of following you? And nevertheless, I will follow you. A year or so, because we had a couple children outside of marriage, okay? Again, we were saved out of that lifestyle. A year or so into our faith journey, my wife was pregnant with our second child, and she was diagnosed with placenta previa. It was a complete covering. You guys, some of you have heard this story before. Complete covering of the birthing canal. And most people that have a complete covering, one or two of those children at that time, or people, are going to die. So we're either going to lose my wife during this birth process because she bleeds to death. This is how it was explained to me by the doctor. Or we're going to lose the baby because they choke on the amount of blood that's happening. C-section was not a viable option because it was covering where they would have to cut. This is two years after we started following the Lord. And we're like, how do you handle this situation, right? My wife and I have experienced two miscarriages. And obviously, I don't get to feel the weight or bear the, the anxiety or bear the birthing process of having to birth a stillborn. 
We're going to get vulnerable, guys. Didn't have to bear the dismemberment that happens and the flushing of the system that happens during a miscarriage. And if you've experienced that, I'm sorry. But I was not equipped to help myself through that moment, but God gave me the gift of having to help my wife and myself through that moment in time. You feel the weight of grief. You feel the weight of anxiety. You feel the weight of, Lord, why? Our twins were birthed right after one of those miscarriages. Praise God. But then directly after that, there's a process that you go through that you're trying to trust God. You're hoping for things you don't see, but it still hurts and there's weight in the process. Have you guys ever experienced weight in the process? I'm sharing my own personal grief stories because I want you to start visualizing and working through your own. Two miscarriages. Now we have 10 children, but that doesn't do anything to take away the emotion that is drawn in those moments. Our second oldest son, Malachi, he's our fifth child, was preterm. My wife was in the hospital for three months praying Malachi to stay inside her womb so that he could continue to grow. Because usually it's within a week you birth that child if you're preterm. She prayed herself in that hospital bed for three months. That's great, but there was a lot of struggle and anxiety through those moments in time where we had to trust God to be who he says he is according to his character in this text. A struggle of sorts. One more story from our past. There's plenty more that we could share. As a pastor, we left a church because of some struggle. But the relationships that we had there when we stepped away, and the things that were said about us when we stepped away, although we did it in a healthy manner, was probably one of the darkest moments in my life even to the point of saying, I'm never going to be in ministry again, ever. And we know that, doesn't, that word doesn't work well with God, but isn't that how we respond sometimes when we're hurting? Never, ever! God says, ah, joke's on you. Not only that, but we had one of our leadership commit suicide at that church. person you would have never expected. I remember receiving the phone call because I was bivocational, so I was at my other job, and I remember receiving the phone call, and the only thing that I could do was fall to my knees because he left a wife and three children.
Life is hard. How many of you would say amen to that? Life is difficult. And if we don't have a pathway to restore our hope, if we don't have a pathway to walk through vulnerability and say, God, I don't understand this. What do you do with it when God says, I mean everything for your good, but you don't understand what it means? What do you do with your doubt? What do you do with your your person being distraught? What do you do with your anxiety? What do you do with your frustration? I'm thankful that the Lord has given us Freedom to be able to express these things to him. When our pain and our fear is mingled up into this giant ball of confused emotion. Can I ask you to raise your hand if you've ever had a moment in your life where you had that giant ball of pain and confused emotion well up in you and you just weren't sure what to do with it. Anybody had that? Let me, let me ask you, what did you do with it? How many of you stuffed it down? How many of you felt a little dirty complaining to God? How many of you punched someone else? Some of you are lying. How many of you would have punched someone else if you weren't a Christian? Just a couple of us. Thank you for being honest. I know who you guys are. Just kidding. I would have. I mean, I really would have. Walking through pain and fear without understanding and embracing this God-given pathway of lament can stunt our emotional vulnerability, which can lead to depression, suicidal thoughts, and ultimately, suicide. When we don't express this giant ball of confused emotion, and when we suppress it, whether you suppress it yourself or another individual in the church, people hear me, make them suppress it. It stunts our emotional vulnerability process. Number two, in God's original intention for community is to build vulnerability. We have to get to this point where we can express doubt. We can express our pain, our fear, fear, excuse me, in our emotions. Lamenting is how Christians grieve. It's a way to voice our fears, our struggles, while still 
this is important, while still recognizing God as holy. Okay. Now that we have that out of the way, how many of you have a few stories in your mind right now that God is bringing to recollection? Anybody have a few stories where you've dealt with lament, you've dealt with frustration, you've dealt with anxiety? Okay. Now we're going to work through the process because we're going to push you to deal with these. We're going to push you to deal with these in the future, both now and into the future. Because that's what we're called to do. Number one is to what? Turn in prayer. To turn in prayer. Psalm 77. Psalm 77. To pray through deep pain. To pray through deep pain takes faith. When you have that ball of confused emotion inside of you and it's internal, you have to do something with it. And oftentimes, if we can use the analogy of a basketball team, that's what you know our Christian faith is very similarly to, different skills, different talents. But when we have that ball of confused emotion, we, we don't know what to do with it. So it's like a hot potato. You, you take it and you, you push it onto someone else. And whereas it was supposed to be a bounce pass, you chuck it at their face. We express it in the wrong way. Because whereas it is supposed to be past, it is supposed to be communal in nature. When it gets hard and it gets difficult, the flesh usually tends to rise up. Pray through deep pain takes faith. It takes understanding. When my wife called me on the phone. I wasn't even with her at this appointment. It's one of the only appointments I've ever missed when she called me and said, there's no longer a heartbeat. The only one I've missed, and I had to work through my own forgiveness process of saying, how dare I let my wife go through that alone? But God knew that we both needed separate times to work through that heartache. Because how many of you look for a bright side when there's sorrow? <laughs> We're always like, ah, oh, this is odd. <laughs> but there's tomorrow. Yeah, there is. And it's going to feel the same way tomorrow. Sometimes sorrow just needs to be expressed without the Mr. Brightside. Psalm 77 verses 1 through 2 tells us exactly how we process this turning to prayer. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and He will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. You see, the choir master sets us up to understand where we have to turn to first. 
as we grieve as Christians. I turn to God. In my doubt, in my frustration, I turn to the Lord. Prayer turns us around. Thus the word turn. Because when we're so frustrated and anxiety is overwhelming and we don't know what to do, God says what? Turn to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. You see, that's not just an educated response. That is what he commands us to do. He doesn't say, well, if you got some complaints, nah. That's our parenting style, not his. That is not in his character. Verses 7 through 9 really expresses this in Psalm 77. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable with me? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? These are all questions. Are his promises at an end for all time? I mean, this is some deep struggle. Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Are those not questions that pierce your heart and your soul? These are real questions that are in the Bible. That are here for us to see an expression of doubt and frustration and hardship. Honestly, praying recognizes that pain and suffering are real. Honestly, praying for a person that expresses pain and suffering to you before you respond is a faith move. Sometimes they need Mr. Brightside, right? And sometimes they need to hug and cry and weep and gnash their teeth. That's in Scripture. Confused ball of emotion. The backside is open. It's blank. Purposeful. It's You can write on it with a Sharpie marker. Because what we see in our opening passage in Psalm 13, and for sake of time, I'm not going to have us turn back there. There's always a transition that takes place that anchors us to a hope in Jesus. This passage says, Ah! If you were sleeping, you're awake now. Okay, this passage says, Ah! I don't know what to do with this. I'm so frustrated. I'm so confused. God, are you even present anymore? And he, he expresses all of these things, but then he has an anchor that as this ball of confused emotion and these waves of emotion come over him, come over them, come over us, it anchors them to the bottom to know that there's still hope there. Because it's not like he doesn't know we're not going to be moved around with the ebbs and flows of our emotions. He even tells us they're desperately wicked. He says, don't be moved, but in order to not be moved, just like he tells the Israelites to set up rocks, to set up covenants so that people visually can see it, we have to remember God's character when it doesn't feel good in the moment. 
The reason this season did not waver Daima and I, the reason was because of all those other moments that we have experienced where God's character was revealed to us. And even though there was deep doubt and deep frustration and conversations that I wish I never had to have had, there was an anchor of stability in those emotions as the world around me tried to shake me. It anchored me to the goodness of God in the land of the living, even though life is hard. So what are your anchors? When has God shown you his goodness? Because to turn in prayer means you let down the anchor. That you know you're in a moment where you need to express, but you got to let down the anchor first. Turn, let down the anchor, and pray. Turn, let down the anchor, and pray. Number two, bring your complaints. Bring your complaints. There is a holy tension when I say this word, complaints. Psalm 10. Psalm 10. We saw the complaints. I asked you if you were a complainer, and there was a few of you that raised your hand, and the people that say they hate complainers looked around like, it doesn't help build vulnerability, guys, just saying. And on the other end of that, when I said, how many of you hate complainers, and you shot your hand up real quick, and all the other complainers were like, okay, don't talk to that guy. God needs to grow both of you. Because complaining is not a sin. Baptists, reformers, everybody, look at me. Complaining is not a sin. Venting, on the other hand, is not okay. Complaining is not a sin. Verse one of Psalm 10 says, you guys kind of get the picture after we read through this. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? These aren't just questions. These are complaints formed in questions. In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul and the only greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs up at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Verse 11 says, he says in his heart, he says in his heart, God has forgotten, he has hidden his face, he will never see it. You see, this psalmist is complaining about this individual. You, you guys see that? And he, he, he's complaining to God about the outside world. How many of you, over the course of the last few years, maybe the course of your entire life, have complained about the world? Guys, come on now, come on. We're building vulnerability here, okay? Building vulnerability. He's complaining 
about the people that get away with sin. It just irritates me, is what he's saying to God. How dare they get away with this when we have to walk in this? How dare they? You guys ever said that before? Come on, we have. I know you have. The kids are more honest than you. They don't even know why they're raising their hand. They just know, yep, I've done it. Okay, so again, we're building vulnerability here and and bringing our complaints to the Lord is biblical. Psalm 22, 1 says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Psalm 35, 17 says, how long, O Lord, will you look on? Question mark. Rescue me from their destruction, my precious life from the lions. My precious life. I mean, that, that's a great complaint, isn't it? My precious life. Save me, God. Do you know how important I am? I figured that one would resonate with us. Psalm 44, 23 says, Awake! Wake up, God! Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself! Do not reject us forever! Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? How many of you have ever felt like God has forgotten you before? Psalm 74, 10 says, How long, O God, is the foe to scoff? This is questioning God's character here. This is a deep question. How long, O God, is your foe to scoff? Do you not know what they're saying about you? And how many guys would fight at those words? Oh, somebody's talking smack about me? Come on, how many of you would fight? We would. We don't know if we can hold back from that kind of temptation. We're getting ready to go. He figured, if I ask this question, of course God will respond. He's got to. I'm questioning his character. Questioning his might. Is the enemy to revile your name forever? You're going to let him keep saying this? That doesn't seem like a good God to me. These are some deep questions, aren't there? Psalm 80, 12 says, Why then? Have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? This is in response to Israel being ransacked and the walls being taken down. So now it's questioning God's plan. You see all these questions, right? Sometimes we read the text like it's not happening in real time. Like these people aren't real people that struggle with the same emotions that we do. Oh, these are just questions. It's okay to question God once in a while, but you can't complain. These are complaints. These are people saying, God, hey, hello. Are you here? Are you ready? Can you hear me? Are you even present? Are you real? Are you real? How do we complain biblically? It's a three-step process within the process, and I need you guys to write these down, and I'll wrap it up here pretty quickly. How do we complain the correct way without it being venting? Okay? First, we have to come humbly. This is the most important part. We have to come humbly. We have to recognize that his ways are higher than our ways. 
What does he mean when he says that I mean all things for the good of those who love me? During the hour after my wife called me and said, there's no heartbeat. How in our finite minds can that be for our good? How can this process of my wife expelling this child from her womb, how in my finite mind can that mean for our good? How can that man taking that weapon and taking his life be for good? How? Coming humbly recognizes that sometimes our definition of good is not what God means. And it's acknowledging that we see a very small part of the whole picture. Now, I can tell you all of the things that are good that came from those moments but in the moment, it hurts. The second part of this is to be honest with God. No question is a stupid question. And some of you are like, yeah, but there are some stupid questions. Absolutely. But when you are expressing this ball of confused emotion to God, there is no question that is a stupid question. And sometimes you just need to ask them. Sometimes you just need to express them without anything else coming in. You just have to cry out. Don't just vent. Come humbly and ask. They ask some pretty strategic questions. They question God's character, His plan, whether or not he existed, those are some pretty profound questions that we just read. The most important part of this whole process is to be patient. This is not microwavable. <laughs> this is a process, a pathway that you have to walk down. Okay. Complaining. Now ask boldly. Ask boldly. Not going to read the passage because we are already over, but I'm going to get through these next uh, portions together. Ask boldly, look up Psalm 22. Look up Psalm 22 specifically. Sometimes we have to transition. Okay, we see this here, this table here, and we see this table over here. Let's, let's look at these as land masses. Okay, first you have turning to prayer for God or to God, excuse me. Then you have this, this idea of complaining before God, bringing our questions so that we can see clarity. But then there's a bridge that happens. And we see this throughout all of the Psalms, except for one, all the Psalms, except for one where it just stays in complaint the whole time. Only one that I've seen. There comes a bridge. And this bridge is even though this is a hot mess, even though this side is a hot mess, I'm going to cross over this bridge and ask boldly 
a God who I know is good. It turns our frustration into a focus of seeking after God. We see Daniel do this. All we get to see is that he gets in trouble for praying over and over and over again. Okay, and we just use that, but we realize that he's praying because there's a lot of crazy things going on in the society that he's a part of. And he seeks God in prayer, and he continues to ask boldly. And this goes back to, do you know who my daddy is? But yet, the bridge is a transition from ourselves and our own self-focus to the goodness of God and seeking out what he wants you to learn to grow. For us, over the course of this last season was all of this stuff with my wife's health and the stuff that's going on in the ministries that we're a part of is, is all over here. There had to be a transition, yet God is still good. You guys have heard me express that before. The real question you have to ask yourself, yet God is still good. Psalm 13 also expresses this. And then lastly, number four, this is where patience comes in, trusting boldly. Ask God to show up. Ask God to show out. For those of you that are younger than 25, you know what that means. Ask God to express himself according to his character and then trust boldly that he's going to show up in accordance to his plan for his glory, for his goodness. This is hard. This is difficult. And this is where friends come in. I had this anchor of trust in my own faith, as I said before, because I've experienced some things. I could look my daughter in the eyes through tears and say, if mommy dies, God is still good. Why? Because I've experienced that God is still good. Does it hurt? Absolutely. Would it have ripped my heart out? Absolutely. But I know the greatest healer and I know that it will fix. I know that there's a steadfastness that's developed on the bridge. Yet God is still good. When I doubt his goodness, I remember his character says that he is good. And that he means things for good. And if it doesn't feel good in this moment, there has to be a reason that my small mind cannot yet comprehend. The reason that he is carrying us through this. To trust is to have faith. To trust is to build vulnerability, church. Church. 